I don't know if you saw my dog in the background. I have to apologize. So we're in a rental for a year. We're renovating our house. So the dog's roaming around freely. So we don't really have an office to use. So I'm kind of in like the living room, dining room area. So we have teenagers upstairs. My wife's downstairs watching reality shows and uh, the dog's roaming around. So she starts barking. I apologize. Speaking of face radio, did you have a beer? I, I watched a few of your shows to kind of equate myself with you guys and how you operated. Um, did you have an IPA or some kind of uh, thing named after you? I absolutely did. It was oh, a wow. local brewery in St. Jacobs, one of my favorites okay. uh, called Block 3. And yep. I do a fundraiser every year for cystic fibrosis. And their team came on board the one year, made a beer, called it Face for Radio, and a portion of the proceeds were donated to my charity. That's funny. That's awesome. Yeah, I have to commend you for that. I've seen a bit of that. It's called, is it a hashtag Farwell for Hire? That's exactly is it, that? yeah. And, and how much have you, I know you probably don't want to toot your own horn, so I'll do it for you. How much have you raised so far in the last, and how many decades have you been doing it for now? Yeah, we just finished uh, our ninth campaign and got over a million dollars total. That's so funny, I, yeah. it, blow, it blows my mind. Even when you bring it up, Matt, honestly, yeah, it, uh, yeah. Yeah, it gets me, but it means a lot to me. And I've had so much support, including from the Ontario Hockey League. Like right. just last year was our push to try to get to a million bucks, which we got there. But right. I would be in rinks in the playoffs and the other broadcasters would leave me like little envelopes or notes with money to yeah, take for the charity. Right? Like, that's yeah. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? When you open your heart like that and do something, um, you know, that, that moves people and it, it has an effect. I did a... Uh, uh, a charity golf tournament for about three years pre pre COVID and it's a lot of work, but we only raised about $8,000 for a few different charities over the years, but it was more so for our hockey team to get together and uh, to kind of give back. But it's a lot of work, but I, it's probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. You know, sure. And it speaks to the kind of community that we're lucky to be a part of when you're involved in the game of hockey too, right? For sure. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I saw some of your guests. Um, I kind of feel like a C-lister when you have someone like Sherry Basson, who's like OHL royalty, everybody knows about him. And uh, Frankie Crotto, and I'm sure there's well, Paul Fixture, and I'm sure you've had other guests that didn't have time to kind of go way back uh, to check. But, but uh, yeah, no, it's a pleasure being on. I, I, we, I don't think we've met. I've seen you around the rinks. I was with, as you, I think you know, I was with Kitchener Rangers for six years as a scout. And I, I do remember seeing you floating around and trying to get some interviews here and there. And I was actually, before Spotter hired me, who someone I grew up with, um, I would kind of go and visit. So I've heard your name around around the rinks for many, many years. And it sounds like I was watching one of your interviews I was, as I was doing my homework uh, to come on the show. And I saw you were interviewing Washer. And in one of the little segments Washer was talking about was at Conestoga. And he said, oh, uh, you know, I was in, he was in one of the leads of the, as a point leader with a couple guys from Cambrian and a guy from Seneca. And that was that guy from Seneca, funny enough. Come so I played on. against I played against Washer. You probably won't like me to to bring this up. I should have brought my ring on on air to sh to show to show you. But we beat. Uh, I'm pretty sure we beat them in the final in '94, '95. And I played against Washer when he was in Kingston. I was in Cornwall, Niagara Falls. And um, uh, Steve Spot was the coach at Seneca. And we beat uh, Conestoga. He probably won't want to talk about that Washer, but yeah, I do see him around the rinks a little bit. He's scouting obviously with Ottawa 67s now. But yeah, really small world. Is it ever? And I'm going to have to keep that in mind for the next time I see Washer and just to remind him of this. Now, so many things here, Guffer, that you got me thinking about. Let's start with the ring, because we just finished talking a couple of weeks ago on the pod to Dave Lilac, and he blew yeah. me away 
that he said he keeps his ring in his sock drawer of all places. I thought that was weird. If I had a championship ring, it might have more of a sacred place. What do you do with yours? You know, it's a good question. I have a couple of rings. I was fortunate um, my, my midget year back when I played in, in 89, 90, my drafter, they had, it was just major midget, they called it. And it was two years. So I was a first year midget. So our team got Domino's Flyers got knocked out during the uh, first round of the playoffs. And I got called up to the Thornhill Thunderbirds. At the time, it was the old Metro Junior B League. But it was basically guys that went there were going to Miami, Ohio, Michigan State. It was a phenomenal league. And um, Thornhill was their affiliate. And I had played a few games during the season, but I got called up. And there was two guys that you'll recognize that were underage players that played in the OHL. Uh, Manny Legacy was the goalie and Kevin Brown. And those are two teammates of mine from, from Domino's Flyers when we were younger. But um, so I have a, a championship ring from there. I didn't play a whole lot, but still a ring's a ring. And uh, quick story regarding that while I'm, and I do get kind of, some of the guys call me Branches McGee. So if you see me kind of go off topic, it's just my mind so jumbled and kind of a scatterbrain, but story regarding Stan Butler. So Stan Butler was the coach of the Wexford Raiders, uh, 89-90 season in the Metro Junior B League uh, and playing Thornhill Thunderbirds. It was game seven at the old Scarborough Arena and they called uh, too many men penalty in overtime and Thornhill scored in uh, the overtime game to win the championship. Butler came on the ice. We see the trophy smashed in a million pieces. I kind of agree with you. You don't really call too many men in game seven overtime. It was kind of a kind of a, a kind of a shady call. But anyway, yeah, so regarding that, so that was one championship I was a part of. And then one was at Seneca. Um, that they didn't have, unfortunately, they didn't have a Canadian championship that year. So once we beat, I believe it was Conestoga in the final, that was, that was kind of it. So and a long-winded answer to your question, I have two rings uh, from those days. Um, I would kind of display them, but my wife's not really into that. She's not really a hockey kind of girl, so she doesn't really care what I did in the past. So <laughs> I think they're probably in my sock drawer in a nice case. But, yeah, I would like to display them. But So you mentioned Washer, of course, too, and one of those guys that was picking up those points when the OCAA, when colleges in Ontario had – hockey leagues and then you go on and play against them in the Ontario hockey league. What's that like being, you know, playing at a, with a, or against a guy at different levels. Like you just keep seeing the same guy again. Well, it's funny. It's a good question because there's a few guys in that league. Uh, I think it was Washer would know this. I think it was uh, Stoss and a, another guy. I think the top four scorers in that league were all XOHL players. And funny enough, my roommate from Cornwall, my first year, I don't know if you remember this guy. He was a big kind of a bruiser. Uh, player Marcus Middleton. He played in Cornwall. He was six foot five. Uh, he was my roommate in Cornwall. And fast forward five years later, we're teammates at Seneca College playing together. We won a championship and we're still close friends. So there's another guy that I was roommates with in the OHL and then later on um, um, played. And, but when I played my uh, my short pro career, one of the teams I played for was Muskegon. It was full of the old Colonial Hockey League. It was full of ex-OHLers. I can just name a bunch that, that John Vary was a big name from uh, North Bay defenseman, Rob Melanson, uh, Corey Johnson, Jody Morphy, just a few of the guys on my team. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of cool. That's, you know, there's so many hockey players out there and there's so many teams you're eventually going to run into guys you played with or against over the years. That Muskegon team in the Colonial League for you was a rookie of the year season for you. Wow, that's you not did a bad way. Wow, I did a little bit. I tried to, you know. Impressive. <laughs> I don't know how you dug that up because I don't know where that would be online. But, you know, it's an interesting... Uh, it was an interesting year. I, I could go on and talk about my my uh, hockey career because it's so complex. There's so many layers to it. Um, 
so I will just kind of start with my, my minor hockey career. I was fortunate to play with uh, two years with the Toronto Nats, three years with the Toronto Marlies, three years with the Domino's Flyers, and then I got drafted 38th overall to Cornwall. And I played a year and a bit there, got traded my second year to Niagara Falls Thunder um, and played out my second year. And about a month in the season, my third year, I got put on waivers. Um, no one picked me up. And I, I thought about it many years later. I think there was a few reasons. One of them was um, my off-ice I call them off-ice activities with a wink. <laughs> there were some some rumors out there that were probably true, some weren't. Um, so I didn't, and plus my stats were, weren't, weren't great uh, for a third-year right-winger. But also, I had an education contract. And back then, not sure if you know this, in 1990, because uh, uh, that was the year I got drafted, they only gave them to the top three rounds, the first three picks. I looked at my education contract years ago, and I think one of the reasons no one picked me up was they would have been on the hook for three – four years of university because the stipulation back then, and it's obviously changed now, as you know, with the, with the education contracts, um, I had to play three full years in the Ontario Hockey League to be eligible for four years of, of uh, tuition and books and, and room and board. So I think there was many reasons as to why, um, why I didn't uh, get picked up on waivers. So then I ended up in Stratford of all places. Um, my agent got me a, a team there. It was lasted probably four weeks. They released me. And I'm thinking, oh, man, like I go from the OHL to Stratford. So then I went back home. And I don't know if you remember this. Remember back in the day with high school, you can take correspondence courses? Absolutely. So I convinced my mother that uh, if she would let me play hockey in Aurora and stay at home, uh, the Tier 2 Junior A team there, um, that I would take correspondence course. So I probably finished half a course in, in three months. But So I finished out my third year uh, uh, junior career there. And then I, I was getting recruited to uh, York University with Graham Wise for the men's hockey team. So they said, well, why don't you go out to Prince Edward Island? Because you can graduate from grade 12 out there. You don't have to get your OACs and you can come play for us. So, okay, well, that's a great idea. So I go out there, um, play for, sorry to the dogs. Maisie. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> I don't know where the, no one's taking care of the dog right now. I asked them to, but nicely, but I guess no one's listening to me. <laughs> anyway, um, so I go out to Prince Edward Island and uh, had an amazing time there, Summerside Pew, a beautiful part of the country. And Steve Spock calls me, I think it was like in May, and he said, hey, Guffer, what's going on? Uh, I said, not much, just about to graduate from high school, you know, I'm going to York. And I'll just to give you a little story about Spotter and I, I met him when I was 14. He was 19. He lived right around the corner from me. And he used to pick me up. We worked at, as instructors at the Seneca College Hockey School. Um, at the Newnham campus at 404 and Don Mills. And he kind of took me under his wing. My parents were, uh, were getting divorced and I was going through a difficult time. And he was a real, uh, he's been a really close friend of mine, all, like a brother and older brother to me. But um, anyway, so sorry, I went off topic there. Um, getting back. So he said, I'm taking over the team at Seneca. You're not going to York. You come to Seneca to play for me. I said, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> I didn't know that, but okay. And, you know, you're one of my close friends. Sure, if that's what we're going to do. And it was an amazing what an amazing year. I mean, it wasn't the hockey. I mean, you saw it. You were at Conestoga with Washer. It was, there was a few good teams uh, that had some tier two and XOHL players. But on, on the whole, I mean, there, was, there were teams coming up to us at Seneca after the first period to our coach saying, Spotter, like, it's 10 nothing. You got to stop. Like, yeah. So it was, you know, it was kind of glorified high school hockey, I think, the best way. Not to put it down. I'm just being honest. I think Washer would say the same thing. But there were a few good teams. And so anyway, I played a year there and then I went on to York for a year and um, Graham Wise wasn't too happy towards the end of the season. 
he tried everything to kind of keep me in school, but I wasn't going to school. I was just, just there to play hockey. And so I ended up going to uh, England. I played in Whitley Bay in Northeast England. And cool story. That's where uh, Mike Babcock played. It's the Whitley Warriors, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Whitley Bay Warriors. Yeah. So I lasted about two months there again and uh, basically got fired. I was just the highest paid player on the team. I was out of shape, my own fault, the responsibility. So I go home uh, three days later. Uh, my agent at the time was Jerome DuPont, who coaches uh, in the OJHL, a famous coach, great coach, played for Chicago Blackhawks and the Leafs. And uh, he gets me set up in Muskegon and I finished the season there. So getting back to the question you asked me about 12 minutes ago, I apologize, a long-winded answer. This was the first year when I was, uh, after I got fired from, from England and I was in Muskegon, that I actually took hockey seriously. I was, I was so dedicated. I was working out three times a day. And I said to myself, if I'm going to continue to play pro hockey, I, like, I need to lose 20 pounds. I was probably about 225. And I wasn't a power forward. I was a skilled guy, a finesse player. Probably should have been about 190. But I got down about 205 in Muskegon. And, and it was an amazing experience. And our coach at the time played in the OHL for Guelph. And he was a famous minor league hockey player named Paul Kelly. And he said, Guffrey, you got offensive talent and ability, but if you don't play defensive hockey, you're not playing. So all of a sudden I became this 200 foot hockey player that I'd never done before because coaches let me get away with murder because I was filling the net. Right. And, and it kept putting up points, but yeah, so that was just kind of a, a short synopsis of, of my hockey career, very short time, but uh, played for many different teams. I forgot to throw in there um, my rookie year in Cornwall. I got hit from behind in uh, Windsor, the old Windsor barn. I'm sure you remember that place. And uh, I was out for three months with a separated shoulder. And my part of my rehab assignment was playing for Messina Americans in the old and the CCHL. I don't know if you remember they had a team there, and that was our farm team in Messina, New York. But they would play in the CCHL in the Ottawa League. So I was probably that would probably be about 11 teams in seven years. So we talked to in the Twitter Tony McKegney. Poor man's Tony McKagan. <laughs> that is the very definition. And this is the second time I'll reference Dave Lilac because I said the same thing to him. He was Sault Ste. Marie, North Bay, Guelph. Then he leaves the O and goes to the dub to play for the Regina Pats. And I said, Lyler, that's like it's the very definition of suitcase. I think I think you do him one better with that story. Yeah, that was it was a short career, but you know what? It was a amazing experience. I learned a lot. Um a lot of character qualities as a, as a hockey player, being in a team environment and about teamwork and, and about dedication. And now the role I have uh, as a, in a part-time uh, position, I work as a family advisor with Level Up Sports Group. I worked for them when I was with Kitchener. Obviously, I couldn't do what I'm doing now to advise players. I was more just kind of scouting guys for, for the company because um, it was a conflict of interest, obviously, being a OHL scout to technically represent our advice players. But uh, it, trying to help these kids not make the same mistakes that I did, you know, because I have regrets. I don't lose sleep over it, uh, Mike, but it's, it's things that uh, I wish I had done differently. But again, we all kind of go through that and experience that in life. Yeah, I think when we get to the age and stage that you and I are at, then we can have that kind of perspective. But I wondered about right. that when you when you talked about that year in Muskegon where you decided, OK, I'm going to take this seriously. And you just mentioned you don't dwell on things but is that where you might look back Matt and say you know what if I had figured that out sooner or if I had started taking it seriously sooner it might be a different ending to the story yeah I think so you know Mike you don't really I, I found as a, as a young player I never thought like how good I was I never I really struggled with confidence like most athletes do and and but as you get older and you talk to scouts and coaches and teammates they said like you had all the talent to make it to the NHL. 
but I didn't have all those, I call them off ice intangibles, that dedication, the desire, the discipline, the determination. Like there's so many stories of guys like myself that all the, all the talent in the world and kind of got sidetracked with different things. I call them off ice activities, but um, I obviously I do have regrets, but I do have a lot of fond memories of my time and being able to see the world and get paid to do something you love to do and experience the OHL and, and what it, all, all of it has to offer. And I was able to go back to that league as a, a scout with the Kitchen Rangers and, and learn that side of the, you know, the business of hockey. And now as a family advisor, I have a few clients. Well, we have a bunch of clients, but I kind of handle a few of them myself. And I really enjoy it. We text or talk once a week. I'm able to see games online, see games in person and, and just say, listen, like we, you know, we have a kid uh, in Hamilton right now. He's a rookie and playing in the geo. And uh, I said, listen, like, I understand. I was a rookie once in Cornwall and I even get a lot of ice time, but it's just part of it. You just, you can respond one or two, one or two ways. You can get negative and, and kind of quit and, and, and start doing things off the ice that aren't going to um, be positive, or you can work harder. You can ask the coach, what can I do to keep in the lineup? What can I do to get on the power play? I work hard before or after practice, things like that. So I really enjoy the role I have with Level Up Sports Group seeing the world and doing something you love while you're doing it. And one of the places that I need to take you back to, because when you were talking about that career, you mentioned the stop. It's one of my favorite places in the entire world out in Summerside PEI. My late great friend, Don Cameron would talk about it all the time. He said they named it that because it's the summer side of the Island. But what was that experience like for you, especially playing for who you played for when you were in Summerside? Oh, you mean the, the legendary coach? That would be the legendary yeah. coach indeed. Yeah. Is he is he coaching in Ottawa 67s now? Yeah, and they cut him coach, off to a right? nine and star. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, I have. Uh, yeah, I, I we were me and you were texting via via Twitter DMing, and I was very fortunate. I had the the career that I had was very short, but I was able to have five coaches that had a cup of coffee or are still in the NHL. Steve Spot, who was at Seneca, who's now as we know in in Dallas, uh, Dave Cameron uh, coached me in Summerside, who's now in the OHL, was with many NHL teams. Jeff Ward was a brief, uh, probably about two months. He was the assistant coach, I believe, under Larry Mars in my third year in Niagara Falls, who was a head coach in Calgary. I see that he's with Anaheim now, I believe, as an assistant. I looked that up uh, just recently. And then George Burnett, the legendary Georgie. Uh, and there's one more. I think I'm missing. Spotter. Uh, Mark Crawford. Oh, Cornwall, geez, right? Geez, yeah. Stanley Cup winner. How it's can I forget a, about whoever, him? You know, that guy. Yeah, yeah. So listen, we'll, we'll talk about Mar oh, Coach Crow afterwards, but you're asking about Summerside. Yeah. So I was recruited. My, my advisor slash agent uh, sent me out there again, was to kind of bypass the Ontario, uh, the OACs. Remember back in grade 13? I sure do. Grade 13. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we're around the same age. I was born in, in 73, but I'm two anyway, years older. Um, yep. There you go. 71. So um, yeah. So I get there and, and uh, Summerside, I've mean, never heard of Summerside P. I'd never been to the East Coast. Um, and uh, the, the town was, it's a beautiful town. I will say the winters were very harsh. That's one thing I wasn't expecting. I remember walking to school and, and you know, walking across the field and just the bitter wind from the, you know, because obviously it's an island. But I remember uh, in May and June, though, you know, cliff diving and the red sand. And I still talk to a few people, actually, um, from when I went to school there and played hockey, there was, it was an amazing experience. They love their hockey and they have an amazing, actually, I went there back there with my wife. Um, she has some relatives in the East coast and went to Summerside for just for like half an hour. I wanted, wanted to see the new rink. They have a new facility there. Wasn't like that when I was there, but yes, the, the people there were amazing. The, the, the fans were uh, amazing. They, they really support their junior hockey in Summerside. P. Uh, have you been there many times? You said, 
I, I haven't been many times, only one time, actually, but I heard so many great stories from Don Cameron when he and I were working together that it feels almost like a second home to me, too. Right. Was he from there? Or? He was. Yeah. Oh, OK, I remember him because he was the play by play guy for Kitchener, right? That's exactly right. And they yeah. have a do they have a room or something named after him in in, they, in the odd? They absolutely do. The uh, the yeah. media room is now the Don Cameron That's room, it. and they right. they raised a banner to him too in 2018 to recognize 55 years on the air, more than 4,000 right. games. He was incredible. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, yeah. speaking of Kitchener, we have to say. I mean, I've been been uh, I was with that organization for six years, and I decided um, to resign. I remember calling Macker and and telling him, he's like, "Okay, Guffer, where are you going?" Like he thought I was moving up. I said, "No." I can't, I, I just wasn't enjoying it anymore. Like I, I work shift work at Air Canada. I have a family, I have a house, all these responsibilities. And I just wasn't enjoying it anymore. And I just had to kind of step away. And now with the role I have with Level Up, it's kind of my own schedule. Uh, I can go to the rink whenever I want because, you know, shift work with Air Canada. It was just getting too difficult and I just wasn't enjoying it. But man, did they treat you like gold there? What an organization. That's my favorite teams in Maple Leafs, obviously, born and raised in Toronto. That's like the Toronto Maple Leafs of the NHL, which gets your range. Just nothing but amazing things to say about uh, Murray, um, Murray Hebert, the legendary uh, gentleman that's there, and Mike McKenzie and Spotter and Smitty that was there, and all the other scouts, the Huntsy, you know, all these guys, Bukes and and Ray Hollowell and his son Daryl, and yeah, amazing, amazing experience. Very, very fun. Grateful, very grateful for my time there. Yeah, and a bunch of those guys are still there. And I can tell you, Guffer, it trickles down even to like peons like me in the broadcast booth who now I'm not an employee of the organization, but they they make sure that I am looked after when I need something. It's it is pretty special for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I want to I want to talk about that. We we, we gotta come back to coaches for sure. But when you mentioned the time you spent as a scout, I, I wonder about this a lot. The way you look at the game, because now you're starting to watch guys but you're probably watching for different things than people would have been watching for when they were looking to draft you. So what was, what was your perspective on as a, as a scout, what were you looking for in a player? So that's a great question. I had no idea. And it was just a chance meeting. I, in 2010, I started a hockey school with a friend of mine up in York region called absolute hockey school. I no longer run. He runs it now. It's just too much for me living in the city. Um, I ran into an old uh, coach who unfortunately recently passed away. You might know the name, Andrew Shaw. Oh my he gosh. Was, uh, yeah. yeah. He was a, he was a friend of mine. Um, he was my coach and minor midget and sadly he passed away a couple months ago, but it was a chance meeting. He was with the Columbus Blue Jackets and a friend of mine uh, whose rink we rented was part owner of the Stovall Spirit. So we was there kind of supporting him watching a tier two game in 2010. I ran into Shawzi. In, in the, the lobby and, and we had gone kind of the same school. He was a little bit older than me. I went to school with his sister and we sat together for the whole game. And, and I said, like, what do you do? Like, how does this work? And he was uh, gracious enough and, and kind enough to take me around for one year. I was coaching major midget with our U18 with the Domino's Flyers at the time running a hockey school. And he took me around for a year as signed me in as Matt McGuff and Columbus Blue Jack. We would go scout. I remember certain guys, Mark Shifley and Barry, I remember him. Uh, I think uh, Chris Turney was with London at the time. I think he was draft eligible that year. But yeah, I learned a lot from him. And I had no idea what to look for as a scout. I mean, so he just kind of, you know, kind of teach me and, and tell me little nuances. And it's interesting because I remember um, when I was when I started scouting with Kitchener, I remember I would just go and watch one or two players and just watch them for the whole shift, not even watch the play. Look at their feet. How are they turning? What are their, what's their edge work like? 
And, you know, one of the biggest things is compete level. I would tell the kids all the time. I still do. Like scouts are going to watch. They're going to watch your body language. Are you slamming your stick when you come off the, when you come off the ice? Are you yelling at your teammates? Are you back checking? Are you battling in the corners? You're not going to win every single battle, but are you battling? And those are things that, that uh, a scouts look for, I think. I mean, other than the obvious things, like, like, you know, stick handling and skating and shooting and things like that. But, and, and obviously hockey IQ is another big one. But, you know, Shazi said to me, he said, guys that play at a higher level sometimes will have an edge to be a better scout because they, they can see little things that other people, other scouts might not in players, like their hockey IQ things they look at. So yeah, those were some of the things. And one of the things I found was amazing about Kitchener, and I'm sure all the other YHL teams do it, was we would call uh, every year um, uh, the, the kids, obviously, you permission from the parents, and we'd ask them a series of questions like, you know, who was the, the hardest uh, player to compete against? So we, they would kind of give us intel on other players they thought that were hard to compete against. And I'm sure other OHL teams, so I'm not divulging any Kitchener Ranger secrets right now. But um, so, yeah, things like that. And we would, you know, interview the coaches, teachers. One of the biggest things, you're bringing a player and investing all this time and money as a draft pick into a community like Kitchener. You want them to be good stewards of the community. Wanted to meet good people helping, you know, in different charitable endeavors. So things like that is, I thought was really important as a scout to look for, not just their on ice talent, but how they were as a person off the ice. Do you think you would have drafted you at 38th? No. <laughs> That's quick. And the, the funny thing is, it's interesting because Shazi and I spent a lot of time together and, you know, carpooling, going out for dinner before lunch, after. And, and I asked him and I talked to him about a lot of those things. And he told me the truth. He said, listen, well, for scouts, OHL scouts came to me and, and asked, and I said, I, I, he's got issues off the ice. His parents just divorced. He's got issues. I don't know if he got into the things I did. They say he's just terrific hockey player, but they had to. And when scouts would come to me when I was coaching U18 players, I had to tell them that, you know, he's kind of a, you know, nearly not well liked in the dressing room. Phenomenal hockey player, but because they need to know. And Shazu was putting his reputation on the line. He couldn't lie. So that's a good question. I, I always call myself a scout killer and a coach killer. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard coach killer before. I've never heard scout yeah, killer. Yeah, it's a before. new one, I think. Being a former OHL scout and OHL player, I call myself a scout killer. So with the work you do now with Level Up, Matt, are these the sorts of things that you're trying to guide players through to navigate, you know, avoiding the pitfalls that you found along the way? Right. So level of sports groups is kind of like we have about 15 clients. We, we kind of get that we don't have the resources or the money or the, you know, the power to, to, to get the kids that are 14, 15 years old that, you know, Don me and, and all the big uh, Newport or whoever they are, all those. So we kind of get kids that have been passed over. And those are interesting cases because a lot of them don't have confidence and a lot of them just need a bit of love from, from whoever is just encouraging them. So we usually get kids, we've had a few kids go on to D1 schools, you know, low-end D1 schools. One was St. Lawrence, a couple of smaller ones like Bentley, uh, Alabama, Huntsville, um, and some D3 schools. And, you know, a few kids were drafted late in the OHL. But so, yeah, those are the kids that we get. A lot of it has to do with it's just kind of guiding them, giving them information as to what they can do with their hockey career or using hockey as a vehicle to, to pursue a career, whether it be in law or the medical field or or a blue collar worker, just, you know, things like that is to educate them about networking on LinkedIn and, and think about life after hockey. Cause I know for me, all I thought about was the OHL, you know, as a player. And, and that's what I focus. And it's, it's pretty cool because a close friend of mine that owns a company, Joy Internal that owns level up sports group. We met, uh, 
probably about 12 years ago with the Don Mills Flyers. He went to Merrimack. So, and you know, he's business minded, he's a very smart guy. And he makes me think about life after hockey. And I listened at the beginning, I was listening in on a lot of conversation you have with kids and the parents and talking about networking and, and, and life after hockey. Cause if you're lucky enough to play pro hockey, it might only last two, five, 10 years. Well, what are you going to do after you still have another 40 years left, hopefully to, to live your life. So just about educating and the parents as, as well as the kids. I love that perspective. So let's talk a little bit more about the OHL. And I want to go back to one of the things you already referenced, which is the old Windsor Arena. We get one of those stories almost every podcast, Matt, uh, because the place was legendary with the fans there and all kinds of things. The the dressing room door that if you opened it, there's the bus stop was right outside. I mean, we've, we've heard them all. But so you had the injury there. You mentioned separated shoulder out three yeah. months. But what do you remember about that barn? Well, I remember it's still actually online. They call it, I don't know if, are you familiar with Bob Murray? He's based out of Windsor. He's a sure really am. big OH alumni. He's always provide. all the guys love him. I see them are always bumping his tires, which he deserves. He spends a lot of time and I think he really enjoys it. Uh, but he always talks about the Windsor arena. And But he posted a couple of years ago about a fight that, uh, and I try to remember who the tough guy was that, that my goalie fought, who was, a, who was a close friend of mine at the time. I still talk to him, Greg Scott. I don't know if you remember that name. He was a six foot four goalie, got drafted by Detroit. You got to look it up after. He fought um, one of the tough guys in the early 90s from the Windsor Spitfires. And they say it's one of the best fights. Well, it's one of the, it's the best fight ever in OHL hockey for a goalie and a player. Because that's very rare for, for a goalie to go toe to toe with the, you know, Windsor's tough guy. But they say it's one of the, the best fights ever. As, as well as I remember they said Ryan Vandenbush and another tough guy from Windsor. I forget who it was. I was on the ice actually for that one. They went toe-to-toe. They went for like three minutes. You remember that one, Mike? I do. And when you mentioned Vandenbush, I remember, of course, that was the guy I wanted to ask about. Yeah. Yeah, we were rookies together, funny enough. And yeah, I, I talked to Bushy here and there kind of on social media. Um, he was, a, he was I think he was like a 13th, 14th round pick. And he was an interesting player. He was probably about 5'10", 170. But he was in, in, in training camp. Um, he was in the best shape out of, all the veterans, all the rookies set records. And I remember he knocked out Nolan with a concu- like a kind of semi-concussion or a mild concussion with a, a solid hit. And that was in training camp because Nolan was there just very briefly for, uh, in 1990 before he went to Quebec. I played a few exhibition games with him. But, uh, yeah, Bushy was very, very talented. Not highly, highly skilled, but you know what? I give all the credit. He, he found his niche and, and worked really hard and had a, a phenomenal hockey career. Obviously, this speaks to the era that you were playing the game in. When you were in the Ontario Hockey League, guys like Vandenbush, Jason Clark, another previous guest on this podcast, you were with in Niagara Falls. Yeah. I mean, these guys had a, a role and they may have relished it to a certain degree, but it was a different kind of game. You're talking about a goalie that fought a player. What do you think of the game from the time you played it to the way we're playing it today? I, you know, I... <laughs> I see a lot of guys, a lot of guys on Facebook, a lot of guys I played with and against talking about how soft it is. And, but you know what, listen, like I, I, I always joke around that, you know, I had a few concussions. People are like, well, you never went in the corners. You, you never really got hit. Like you never really fought, but it's still like, you know, you still get minor concussions here and there just from over the wear, the wear and tear over the years. But I, I think it's good. I, you know, I think there's a place for fighting kind of in the heat of the battle. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. You remember the senior A hockey player that we probably haven't heard that story for years. I think it was in Whitby that tragically died. Um, I remember seeing his face. He had brown hair. I forget his name now. Sanderson or 
he died in, in senior hockey in, in a fight because he hit his head and his helmet was off. So I think they've had to do this. Um, you know, guys, guys, tough guys will talk about, well, there's no uh, retribution for, um, you know, dirty plays. And I can, I can see their argument, but I don't think it's ever going to go back to, to how it was. Yeah. And I, I, I like it personally. It's very skilled. It's very entertaining. I, I like it. So speaking of skilled, another teammate, and we'll take you back to the Cornwall days for this one, but a guy named John Slaney. I mean, I'm sure he just leapt off the ice to you. Yeah, you know what? He was, uh, yeah, I still talk to him a little here and there on social media, little comments. Um, he was uh, uh, an awesome teammate. I, we kind of live near each other, and, and some of the veterans roll sometimes that have a car to pick up the rookies that don't have a car, and he picked me up every day, and just the down-to-earth, you know, Newfoundlander, and um, I remember we had John Slaney night because he scored that magical Team Canada goal. Um, it was interesting because I think his first game back was against Kitchener Rangers, Stephen Rice, and Rice hit him in the neutral zone, I believe, and gave him a Charlie horse. So I think John was out for about a month. I remember doing rehab with him, so we kind of spent a lot of time together off the ice. But what a phenomenal hockey player. I just, I, I, you kind of wonder, Mike, if he was born in this era, uh, with the way the game's played now, if it would have had a longer NHL career. I'm assuming yes, but I guess you never know. Yeah, great point. Now, as speaking of NHL careers as a coach, and we referenced him earlier, he's got himself that ring. But Coach Crow, what was he like for you in Cornwall? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. There's been, you know, there's some stories about him. And all I can say is positive things. He would, I, I have to choose my words carefully because, you know, some people, you know, like to kind of skew people's stories and stuff. He was, he freaked on me a few times. I'll be honest. Um, you know, it, it, there was no abuse or anything like that. It was just kind of, you know, verbally kind of, kind of threatening me. Like, and again, I didn't feel threatened. It was just kind of trying to teach me a lesson as a rookie. And uh, you know, I was doing some things off the ice, but I knew in the bottom of my heart he cared, and he he was a player's coach. I thought he was amazing. And I'll give you a quick little story. Um, when I injured my shoulder, it was on the Windsor Detroit London road trip. And it was right before the Christmas break and it was so bad. It was a third degree separation. That was so bad. They had to perform surgery and all the, so they, I think it was like a day before we all went home and uh, I was there by myself, no family. Um, I think my billets came to the hospital and Mark Crawford, I'll never forget this because I was kind of woozy. I just come out of surgery about five hours post-op and I, I opened up my eyes and there's coach Crow and his corn, new brand new corn rose jacket is, probably 10 week old baby and his wife come to visit his player. I, I get kind of emotional because I'll never, that's something, you know, it's so special to me that he took that time and knew that no one else was around. I didn't have family there. I was going home like, you know, the next day kind of thing. And yeah, that was, uh, I, I, yeah, he, he, like I said, he threatened to send me home on probably on a monthly basis. One time in particular, we didn't even make the playoffs that year in 1990. I think we were like uh, 10 points out of the playoffs and, I stayed to go to high school there and I, cause I thought it was the best thing in the world. No parents. I'm an OHL hockey player. I thought I was a big wheel like most OHLers do. And um, one of my close friends at the time was Matthew Schneider's younger brother, J.A. John Alan Schneider that played in Cornwall and, and ended up playing a bit of a, a pro career. And uh, we would go visit Coach Crow a couple times a week at, 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 uh, at the rink in his office. So I remember one time, do you remember um, Orville Tessier? Oh my gosh, do I? Lord, everybody yes. knows him, right. So his brother, I forget his name now, Mr. Tessier, was the vice principal at our high school. So um, I went to see the coach that day and with, with Schnitt and, uh, you know, to his office and he's, and, and Mark said, uh, hey, Matty, how was school today? I said, not too bad, coach. Yeah, I was all right. He goes, what the heck? 
you got F and suspended today. But he had a smirk on his face, right? Like he knew, like, but he, like, he liked me. And I always wonder, I asked Paul Fixture about that. I said, you know, because, you know, he was, I don't know if you know this, he was my assistant coach, funny enough, in uh, Cornwall in 1990. And, you know, when he was with Kitchener and I was a scout there, we kind of reminisced. And I said, Fixie, like, why was he like that? Like, yeah, I think he knew that you had talent and he, he cared. He saw so much in you and he was trying to get that out of you. And I don't know, I thought, I thought he was one of the best coaches I've ever had. Fixie's a great guy just to sit down and talk hockey with, isn't he? I think so. Yeah, he was, uh, he's a salt of the earth guy. I don't know, is he still coaching now? No, unfortunately no, not. not. Okay. No, that's too bad. Yeah, we had him on though not too long ago for the podcast yes, to have a chat that, about right. things, and yeah, for sure. So you you probably know Matt that I'm one of the guys that likes to shout every chance he gets. Uh, bring back the Royals. I loved everything about the franchise. I would love to see the league return there. What was it like being a Cornwall Royal, and how would you feel about the team coming back? You know what? There's, there's, I try to help them. A lot of my buddies, they kind of make fun of me. Like, what's with this Cornwall hashtag, bring back the Royals? Like, why are you taking pictures in Mexico all over the world with your t-shirt? I'm like, I don't know. It's, it's, I just try to bring some uh, awareness to they, they'd love to have a team back there. And there's a few guys, Joshua Ferguson and Steve McIntyre, kind of spearheading um, this uh, Cornwall Royals, bring back the Royals on, on social media. And David Murphy uh, is another guy that, uh, is involved. I think he might have even known the, the brand and the logo. Uh, Tom Racine is a play-by-play guy. I don't know if you remember Tom Racine. He was an ex-cop and he did the play-by-play for Cornwall. Do you remember that name at all? I do remember that name for sure. Yep. So yeah, he's for a fairly legendary name in Cornwall. So these guys are trying to bring it by. I mean, listen, it was, it, it left, I mean, this, the history, as you know, I think it was 79, 80, that Memorial Cup back-to-back at, at the time. I think one of the years might've been the Quebec League before they they moved to the Ontario Hockey League. But, yeah, there's so much um, notoriety and history and the players that played there, like Howard Chuck and Gilmore, and I think it was it's Tabarachi, and, and the list goes on and on. Owen Nolan, John Slaney. Um, I think it'd be amazing. But, you know, one thing I learned, Mike, being with Kitchener is, is understanding the economics of the OHL and, and the business side of it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's about season tickets, so they have the, the arena for it. I mean, there's so many things involved. I mean, hopefully they will. They have a good tier two junior A team. They're Cornwall Colts and the CCHL. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on teams relocating and, and moving? Yeah, see, that's the part that hurts me a little bit. As much as I want to see the Royals back in, that would probably mean a relocation. Although, if I'm going to be honest, I could look at a couple of franchises right now that, you know, might not be doing great in the market that they are. But the economics are a huge part. And I visited Cornwall Oh, probably five, six years ago now. And it was in a better place economically mm-hmm. than it had been when the Royals left. But I'm not sure the market is is fully there yet. I'm just not mm-hmm. sure. Well, a funny story regarding Cornwall. I just thought about it. You remember Willie Wise was the owner. I think, <laughs> is he in jail now? There's kind of a Ponzi scheme or something. Something I, like that. I read that something. Anyway, I remember uh, I was uh, out for, I, I stubbed my toe of all things, embarrassing injury. On Come the trainer's on. table, on the train, and I missed three games. Like, I, I don't even know. I, you know, you have to self-deprecate. I love old dog and overdrive, and I love how self-deprecating is. So I'm going to try to be the same way and and, and talk like that. But um, so I remember back then they would leave, and I don't know how it is now, but they always get tickets, and whoever didn't want their tickets, they leave them on the trainer's table. Um, so I thought, man, this is kind of cool. I'm going to grab like 20 tickets. I'm going to go up by the the um, the ticket, the box office and start giving away tickets to the fans that are lining up. 
I thought, oh, this is like, I don't know, a rookie, a big wheel, OHL hockey. I'm going to start giving out free tickets. Like, all of this attention, everybody was loving me. All of a sudden, Willie Wise comes up. He's kind of like almost running. He grabs me like, what are you doing? Like, these are ticket sales. Like, I didn't think about that or I didn't care about that. I just thought it was great. I'm giving away free tickets. Well, the lady in the, in the box office called downstairs and said, one of your players is up here because they recognize, you know, you're in a shirt and tie is giving away free tickets that he got from, you know, every player was allowed two tickets, right? But anyway, just a little funny story about <laughs> Willie Wise and giving away free tickets that was like, hurting his bottom line, I guess. I guess it was. Yeah, you guys listen, bums and seats. That's what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> okay, how about George Burnett? You referred to him as the legendary before, and he was one of the guys that I got to know, uh, one of the first I got to know as a visiting coach when I was just starting out in the league. And he was, he's always been good to me since those early days. He intimidates me a little bit, but what was he like to play for? Yeah, I would say so. He, yeah, he was kind of quiet. He wasn't – yeah, again, he. I know he sent me home one time. We, we came back from a – it was a Sault Ste. Marie, Sudbury, North Bay trip, and we didn't have a great outing. And it was like four in the morning. We're all supposed to go to school the next day. And I don't, I don't think any of us went to school. And then we had like a team video meeting. Half the team was falling asleep on the floor. Or what. And of course, I fell asleep. And he kind of picked on me. And, you know, some players sometimes on teams are scapegoats. Well, I was one of those guys. And he sent me home. And I remember calling Steve Stales. So I'm like, can you tell him I'm sorry? Like, come on, half the guys were sleeping that day. But I don't know. I liked him. He's had a, you know, I had a cup of coffee in, in Edmonton. I remember seeing him of all places on a bus ferry terminal in PEI because he was coaching Cape Breton. Remember he coached the farm team? Uh, absolutely. Yep. And I ran into him like, hey, Georgie, what's going on? He's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I play for Summerside. And, but uh, no, I mean, he's, he's had the longevity. He's obviously an amazing coach and, and I believe he coached in the world juniors. And, and so, yeah, no, he was, I thought he was a good coach, a uh, different kind of a personality than say Mark Crawford or Steve spot, but I, I liked him. I can't say any, anything bad about him. You mentioned Steve Steos. That was a teammate in Niagara Falls. Things are working out just fine for him. It looks like these days, eh? <laughs> yes. I see. He just got uh, offered or he, he took a job in Edmonton as a special advisor to hockey ops. I believe it was. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a pretty good team where my it was my uh, my secondary went to the conference finals maybe against Sioux and I think they won the the Mem Cup that year. But we had uh, Ethan Morrow was a rookie of Niagara Falls Thunder went on had a good NHL career. Steve Stales, uh, Manny Legacy uh, had a great uh, NHL career and a couple other guys. Kevin Brown was a prolific NHL uh, OHL scorer. Not the one. There's another one I believe that around that same time that I think played for Detroit Junior Red Wings. Another Kevin Brown. Um, but yeah, that was a good. There's actually two two of the teammates from Niagara Falls. I'm still really close friends with today. And funny enough, one of them um, who went played for the Kitchen Rangers. Maybe you know this guy's name. His son is actually a client of mine. He plays for U18 Barry. Do you remember Mark Cardiff? Oh he was yeah, a tall for sure. defenseman. Yep. So he played in Niagara Falls, and he got traded to Kitchener, and then he ended up having a good war, uh, university career at Waterloo, and then went on and had a, a good career in Germany. But yeah, he's uh, still one of my best friends. I was the best man at his wedding, and that's one of the things I love about hockey too, is you have that uh, that connection and ties. You know, you make lifelong friends. You know. No question about it. You know, I, I'm thinking back to you mentioning that road trip, Sioux, Sudbury, North Bay, and it just makes me think of. You know, I, I was just talking to a guy about this the other week when we did our first long trip, which isn't that bad. It's the Ottawa Kingston trip. You got decent cities to be in and all that different stuff, but it, it can be a grind. Let's face it over the course of a season. What what was the travel like for you? Any of the trips that you really hated? Any of them that stand out? Yeah, you know, it was different back then. I think about how the road trips would be now on those nice coach buses and comfortable and you have all your devices. Like all we 
all we could do back in the day was watch movies, which there were probably only four TVs on the bus and these little, you know, four by four uh, screens and chewing tobacco. That's all we did and tell stories and play cards. And we made the best of it. It was fun. Don't get me wrong. But I think about road trips now, how amazing it would be, like how the time would just fly by. I'd be playing golf on my phone or, you know, I'm sure guys would playing cards and stuff. But yeah, no, there was uh, some great road trips. I remember playing in Mesquite and those were some crazy road trips, like playing like, you know, four games in five nights and, you know, Madison, Wisconsin. And there were some rough, rough road trips. But again, amazing experience, uh, you know, playing hockey and doing something you love to do and getting paid to do it. It's funny. I kind of miss those older road trips too, because maybe the last, I don't know, between five and 10 years, it gets a little fuzzy, but you're absolutely right about all the devices. It's so quiet on the bus now, Matt. Like I kind of, and, and I didn't love the movie. Like we must've watched the same movie 38 times a season, right? Like I, yeah. I can only take so much Will Ferrell, but yeah. I kind of, there's something about that experience now. It's almost like some guys play cards for sure. But it's almost like drop a pin on the bus because everybody's just got their nose in their computer or on their phone and they're doing their own thing. Yeah, that's yeah. So you, the media still travels, right? Is that how yeah, it works on those long do. road trips? Yeah. What about just the local ones like Guelph or you guys wouldn't? Would Guelph is the, the only bus? one actually that uh, I do on my own. Everything else like London, Owen Sound. Uh, yeah, okay. we hop on the bus and take those trips too. Oh, nice. That's yeah. cool. It's kind of nice. So you guys kind of get the inside experience too with the players and kind of inside stories and and I'm sure they feel comfortable sometimes if they get to know you a bit better about telling you little things they wouldn't normally say to someone the, else, right? That's the important thing that I think, and that's why I still like doing it as much as I do, because yeah, you get to, when you're doing interviews with the players all the time, or you're the one that's talking about them on the air, I want to have at least some kind of a relationship so they know mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. I am and that I'm not there to, you know, make their life miserable or to embarrass them in any way. And I think it helps a little bit. And how long have you been uh, play by play with Kitcher? You know what? I just ran into to uh, Kent Hawley, a scout with Vegas, going into the rink the other night, and he asked me the same question. Guffer, I don't know. I think it's like 17. I, I came over. Kitchener won the Memorial Cup in 03. I came over the following season. So my first season in Kitch was 03, 04. Oh, so wow. what does that make it? This I guess this year number 19? 19, 22, 23, yeah. something like that. I, I'm terrible for keeping track of stuff like that. It's going on 20 years anyway. And so you do the play-by-play -play for the radio? Yes. And so you initially, okay. yeah, initially I was on the TV side. And then I moved over and did color with Don Cameron for a bit in his final years. And then when Don retired, I took over radio play-by-play. -play. Okay. I wanted to ask about the Colonial League too. You talked about some of those road trips, but what was the hockey like? You know, I, I, th I thought it was pretty good. It's like you get a lot of guys that, that, that were pretty good OHLers. Um, you know, a lot of guys whose brothers played in the OHL or the NHL, like Chris Chelios's brother and uh, Chris Gratton's cousin. Uh, he played in, yeah, Danny Gratton. Um, I, again, I, it was pro hockey. It was a grind. Um, I think for me, uh, as a player, Europe would have been more suited to my style. Um, and I did play in England, so we were traveling to to Ireland, Scotland. Um, the hockey, you know, it's a bigger ice surface. It's not as rough and tumble. Uh, I don't think it was as much of a grind. It's uh, a little bit more open. Um, but yeah, and it was it was an amazing experience. Like I said, um, to do something you love to do, and you know you weren't getting paid a lot of money, but you're you're in your early twenties, and I mean I thought it was the best thing in the world. I was so grateful just to have that one year, that opportunity. And the funny thing was, um, funny story. So I had signed to go back to Muskegon, 
and Mike Kelly was was our coach, and and I really liked him. He taught me a lot about the game of hockey, and especially pro hockey, and playing a 200 foot game. And in my contract, because he was the GM and coach that I had signed in the summer to go back for the following year, I had to be under 200 pounds to make X amount of dollars. For real, like I still have the contract, I can still show you. And because I kind of struggled, it was probably about 205, 207, and I had lost probably about 20 pounds during the season because I was working hard and eating properly, but I was still kind of overweight. But yeah, kind of funny that, that stipulation and the minor pro contract was a lot of my friends have kind of laugh at that now because I've always always struggled with my weight and up and down kind of thing with McDonald's. <laughs> hey, listen, it's too convenient. It's too easy. It tastes too damn good. Uh, exactly. <laughs> How tough was it for you to step away from scouting with the Rangers when you did? It, it was tough. You know, I, I remember telling, talking to my wife about it and she's like, are you sure? Like call spot or ask him what he thinks. And, and I, and I knew in my heart, in my head, it was just, it was time. I just was not enjoying it anymore. And, uh, you know, I was working overtime in Air Canada and it wasn't about the money. I never did, did that for the money. Um, you know, they, they, they compensated us. So it was nothing about that. If they said we'd pay you more, I still wouldn't have done it. It was just, uh, it was too much of a grind. You know, I, I work at Air Canada at the airport. I've been there for over 25 years and it's shift work, right? So you're up at three o'clock and I was trying to rearrange my schedule and, because um, there was, you know, tournaments you had to be at the Silver Sticks, you know, the the Waterloo tournament, uh, the Gold Puck tournament, um, you know, and then we had our, our meetings and we have our draft day and, and training camps. So it was a, it was a very big commitment. But and the things that I learned and the and the people that I met um, during those six years, it was a, a absolutely phenomenal experience. I tried to do a little bit of uh, intel before we sat down to talk tonight, uh, and I got a text. And I'm just going to read it to you and we'll see if you can figure out who sent it to me. I figure you'll probably be able to, but here's what it says. Well, he wanted me to draft Mitch Marner. He had Michael Bunting practice with us as a free agent and I didn't sign him. So I'd say he's a lot better scout than me. So the person that texted you was a was scout? Not a scout. Was not, he was not a scout, but. Um, well, I know, I know who that, that's very, you know, it's, was very flatter. I know that it could be, I know it's someone with Kitchener. Are they still with Kitchener? They're not still with Kitchener. It's not a spotter, is it? It is spotter. <laughs> yeah, it oh, is. Wow. I just thought of a quick note and said, hey, I'm going to be sitting down with this Matt McGuffin guy. Anything I know, I need to know. And he says, he wanted me to draft Mitch Marner. He had Michael Bunting practice with us as a free agent, and I didn't sign him. So Guffer's a whole lot better <laughs> scout than I am. No, he's, he's, yeah, he's a humble guy. That's, that's nice of him to say, you know what? The thing with Mitch Marner was there was, and it happens with a lot of, with a lot of teams. There was, and again, I don't, I don't want to mention names or anything. Like that. It's nothing to do with Kitchener, but um, <sighs> Mitch Marner told everybody and his agent and his family that he was playing because he was playing at St. Mike's at the time, uh, APing, if you want to call it that. And he was going to Michigan state. So, I think that's why, because I think he went 21st or 22nd overall. It was I think it was the last pick in the first round, I believe, to London. As we all know, he went to the London Knights. Um, but, you know, I think everybody saw on him what uh, what he can do. It was funny because my – are you familiar with Toronto at all, Mike? Like sure. the rinks in Toronto? Yeah. So my first scouting experience was uh, Domino's Flyers at, uh, against the Toronto Titans, which is the old Wexford uh, Raiders organization, yep. at Tobacco Centennial. Or the old uh, old rink there, and I remember sitting there. And again, this was my first experience. I learned a lot from Shazi and Spotter, and obviously the guys in Kitcher kind of helped me out. I remember seeing this kid, and my favorite player growing up, and he's still he's still my idol and favorite player to this day was Wayne Gretzky. And 
I saw Mitch Marner and I'm like, who is this guy? I think he wore like number 97 or something. And he kept getting hit and get back up. And, or when he, he would evade hits and he was just so smooth and he'd go behind the net and set up. And I just saw like Wayne Gretzky. That's all I thought about when I saw him. Cause he was very slight, you know, like Wayne Gretzky was, and he was doing these things and, you know, eyes at the back of his head. And so, yeah, that's, that was one guy that, um, you know, everybody would have loved to have dropped, but I think there was, some things going on behind the scenes, let's say it, say it nicely, um, that London was able to draft him. With Michael Bunting, I was very fortunate to coach him uh, my second year uh, with Domino's Flyers in the U18 uh, loop. Uh, and he's the same kind of kid. He's just tenacious. And I mean, obviously, he's, he's gotten a lot better. He's more refined, but he's just uh, he's a special player. He, just, he was able to find the puck and He's just a really nice kid too. I remember we had him um, to watch a game in Kitchener, and he wouldn't practice. But I don't know. You know, I said to, it's funny because I said to Murray and Ray when they mentioned Bunting and and uh, kind of you know kind of giving me props for that. I said, you know what? Had he gone to Kitchener, would he have been given the same opportunity that he was given in Sault Ste. Marie? We don't know. Probably not. You know, Kitchener is very com- usually very competitive every year. Would he have been given those kind of minutes to flourish like he did? We don't know. It's, I mean, it's, it's the truth. I was kind of trying to deflect it a little bit because I was kind of flattered, but and it meant a lot to me that they, they thought highly of me to, to talk like that. But I don't know. What do you think? You know, that happens sometimes to players, right? In the right situation, the right time, the right moment. 100%. And you see it oftentimes, even when players get traded, they might be performing at one level with one team because they're on PP1, for example. Then they move somewhere else. The, the you know, the systems are different. The opportunities in terms of ice time are different and they're a different player. Right, right. Yep. So, yeah, that's funny. That's water. So I'm surprised he didn't throw a little kind of, uh, kind of, what do you call them, like innuendos in there, like little hidden messages in those text messages. He, he was nothing but straight up, which is rare for spotter. You're absolutely uh, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. How many times has he caught you with one of his infamous practical jokes? Oh, man, like there's so many. <laughs> Some of them I probably can't. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's been many. I can't even remember them all. Yeah, I've been around many. He's, uh, yeah, you know what? I I always joke around. There's another one of our best friends that we say that we're like the C-listers, you know, because his buddies are Pete DeBoer and Adam Graves and Soupy, you know, Colin Campbell and all these guys. And, and he kind of laughs. And yeah, you kind of right. You are C-listers, but he's not like he's he treats us like he treats Adam Graves as, a, you know, his, his, his numbers hang from the rafters of us in Square Garden. So uh, he's just a loyal guy. He's been a really close friend, you know, and is kids call me uncle Matt, and it's it's a it's been uh, a blessing for me to have an older brother kind of looking out for you like that ever since i was 14 years old so that you were going on 35 years now you know and i was in this wedding party and you know he he gave me that job at kitchener too it's funny i'll never forget it was 2012 and it was training camp i think the odd was being renovated at the time so i think it was activia sportsplex or one of those ranks in kitchener right which one it was the rookie camp and and uh he said, you know, do you want to come scout for me? I said, absolutely. He came in. It's a dream come true, especially to Kitchener Rangers to get back into the OHL. And I was just kind of trying to find myself going through some some personal things and difficult times. And uh, I remember coming to the rink, and I don't think he told anybody else on the staff because I just show up. And he's like, yeah, guys, I just want to introduce our new scout, Matt McGuffin. He's working in the GTA. He's a personal friend of mine. Kind of guys are like, huh? Like, who's this guy? Like, But again, he's the boss there, right? He was the head coach of GM. He can do whatever he wants. And so I was kind of like an extra scout because they already had uh, Ray, who sort of was the head scout at the time, and Daryl's son. Daryl's awesome. Ray's great. And uh, who were covering, covering the GTA. So I was just kind of like an extra scout. 
And uh, so my first year was primarily minor midget. It was the 97 age group, you know, with, with Mitch Marner and I'm trying to think the other guys, uh, one place for Philly. Um, well, one of them, the other one was uh, played for the Marlies. 90, do you remember the 97 group at all playing the OHL? <sighs> See, again, the mind's kind of fuzzy. Yeah. It's, well, it goes back a while for us, Guffer. Jeez. Play for the Marlies is Strom. One of them was a Strom. Okay. One of the Stroms. Yeah. Yeah. One, I think it was. Konechny, that was another big name. Oh, Travis, Travis yeah, that yeah. Was the, I think he played in the Sun County or one of those leagues. Um, yeah, so that I did primarily remind a midget, a bit of free agent work. This is before the U18 draft. And then the following year, Spotter left. He went to the Marlies, and they kept me on, which was, you know, I, I thought was a kind of a vote of confidence because kind of Spotter brought me in. And, and I remember I, I worked my butt off that year. I probably uh, scouted like 250 games, like just an insane amount. It was really burn the candle at both ends but i wanted to prove myself that it wasn't just wasn't just there because of spotter i i I was working hard and and trying to learn the craft but when he left they reassigned me to work with sean murphy you remember murph he was the director per personnel yep mike murphy's son and he was awesome he's a former ohl or a little bit younger than me but we had a lot of uh uh, fun you know he had an expense account so he'd take off we're going for wings tonight don't worry it's okay i didn't have an expense account i was just kind of a lowly scout he was directly per personnel but no, we had we had a good time. I learned a lot from him. So we did. Um, I didn't do any minor midget anymore. It was all strictly free agent work. And it's interesting because I know a lot of people know this, but before, because they always ask about the U18 draft. I think Kitchener had an advantage before the U18 draft as a big market team because we were able to recruit. Because back then you couldn't draft U18 players; you had to recruit them. Well, who's going to say no to an offer to come to the Kitchener Rangers? And that's like one of the Toronto Maple Leafs or the, the Montreal Canadiens. Now with the U18 draft, um, you know, we can't recruit those guys because some of the best U18 players are going to get drafted. But that's just kind of – and so I did that for the next five years. And I think Sean Murphy stepped down my last year, and I worked with Kenny Curdo, who, who works in Toronto now. He's a free agent scout. I still see him out at the rinks to this day. I'm just thinking back to what you talked about with Marner and how he told everybody he's going to Michigan. How how much how frustrating was that in the role of a scout when the players really could orchestrate where they ended up going? I you know what I was kind of new to that, so that was you know I, I learned that kind of after the fact. I still think it happens to a certain degree to this day, and I don't know. I think uh, you know Kitcher has an advantage. They're able to kind of we call them what I learned was you call them flyers. You know Kitcher's. Uh, famous for for taking, uh, as you probably remember, an American Flyers, they call them. And yep. London does it now too, a lot in Windsor. But they're able to kind of take kids, you know, late, mid-rounds that are committed in the, ND, the, the U.S. program or, you know, D1 to Cornell or whatever and, and kind of try to, to woo them to come to Kitchener. And um, so, yeah, those are just some of the things. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Like those American Flyers? Some of the guys, Absolutely. I think one of the guy was, who was that kid that got drafted? It was very skilled forward. He got drafted, played for the Leafs, um, and got traded to Windsor, I believe. He was an American kid, probably about five years ago. He was a forward. You know what I'm thinking of? He was, he, he, I think he at least traded him. He never really cracked the lineup, American kid. I remember, very, very but it was a defenseman. Cam Fowler was Windsor, wasn't he? But that's no, D. No, this was a and, forward American yeah. kid, a smaller fit, a kid kind of like a Patrick King kind of a player. Um I should know him because he's a least least prospect, or he was a least prospect. But anyway, I think that was another example of a kid. And again, Windsor does it. Uh, London London does it. I think it's harder for the small market teams to kind of uh, woo players after they draft them, say late rounds. 
Yeah. But it was just one of the aspects of scouting that uh, business side of it that I learned all my time in Kitchener. I can just imagine uh, people yelling at their smart speakers right now saying the player was this guy. I, I can't come up with it either. Somebody's figured no. it out by now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, Guffer, I've taken too much of your time already. If we keep going, your house is going to be renovated by the time we finish this podcast. Seriously, though, <laughs> there is one story I do have to pull up. Oh, my wife just texted me too. You need to wrap up. People in this house need to move about. She's oh, it's good timing. You must have, I don't See? know if she texted you. Yeah, she did. Literally, know. as soon as she said that, she just texted me. I love her. She's <laughs> awesome. Um, okay, one quick story though about, so we're my second year in Niagara Falls. It's kind of, again, it's kind of embarrassing, but. I will tell it. And it is an honest to God, true story. So we had uh, Tom Moores and I were, we weren't playing much. We were in Guelph and playing for Niagara Falls Center. And again, this, I'm sure this doesn't happen to this these days because the kids aren't as, as silly as we were, but um, I wasn't getting much ice time. Me and Moose weren't getting much ice time. We're kind of sitting in the middle of the bench. So after the second period, I said to our trainer, Dave Alio, I said, Dave, can you, here's $5. Can you grab me some food from the snack bar? Like, Guffer, I can't do it. Like, what is wrong with you? You're in the OHL. You can't eat food on the bench. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I'm hungry. I need something to do. Like, I'm really bored. I'm not going to play this game anyway. Maybe one shift. So he comes back with Sour Patch Keys. And do you remember the Macintosh toffee? Absolutely. The red red box, yes. box with the little uh, tartan uh, with plaid. So um, do you remember what happens when it gets hard and you have to crack it against the wall? It breaks into a million pieces. Right. So I had that. So he gave me that. So we finished off the Sour Patch uh, candies um, and he gave me, it gives me the toffee. So I had it in my pants. So no word of a lie, Mike, I, literally I was passing it to, to Tom Moores as we scored. So I'm passing it and I pull it out of the package. We score, we all jump up. The toffee goes flying on the ice, smashes in a million pieces. Like, what do I do? Like, so I start yelling at the ref, ref, there's someone in the stands throwing food. Come on, you got to get this guy out of here. I never got caught. It was so embarrassing. I can imagine the coach, yeah, what did you get What did you get uh, sent home for? Oh, I, got, I brought out Macintosh toffee to the ice. Like, what are you doing? You're in the OHL, like the, one of the best leagues in the world. Anyway, something to pass the time. And it was good toffee to this day. I still like that stuff. I like it too. And that was quick thinking. Blame it on the fans for throwing food on yeah, the it ice. Yeah, it was good. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> Guffer, this has been a ton of fun. Thanks so much for uh, sitting down with me and doing this. Thank you. I appreciate it. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.